I am fresh off of a trip to Southern California where we took our daughter Bridget on a couple of college campus tours. It was 88 degrees down there, so we suffered for our daughter. I mean, the things you do as a parent, right? You know, we suffered down there to go to these college campuses. And uh, Bridget had narrowed her search down to a couple schools where she could study theology and music, worship music. She, her dream is to be a worship pastor. And she's told Pastor Colin, like, don't turn your back because I'm coming for your job kind of a thing. And so that was great. But we, so we went to Biola, which is one campus that she's checking out. And then we drove down to, South, uh, to San Diego and we visited a school called Point Loma, which is this, uh, if you've been to Point Loma, it's this, it's out on this peninsula looking out on the ocean. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places I've been. We were standing there. I was standing next to Bridget, looking out over the Pacific Ocean. It was like 80 degrees on this college campus. And I said, I put my arm around Bridget and I said, Bridget, I want you to know something. When I was choosing colleges, if I had visited this campus, you would not be here, my dear, <laughs> because I would not have gone to Willamette. I would not have met your mother, okay? You would not be here. It was beautiful. But here's the thing. After all of that, Bridget chose to go to Biola and she's going to study theology and we're very proud of her. And so anyway, that was really cool. But I'm glad to be back with you to get into the word. We pull out your Bible right now, open to the gospel of Luke, pull out a place to take notes. We've got a lot we're going to talk about. You're going to want to write stuff down. Here's what's going on. This morning, we have come to the end of the third major unit in the gospel of Luke the third of four. So we're actually making some progress around here. It's really exciting. And uh, I'm going to put up a screen just to remind you of how Luke is structured. Um, we've, I've showed you this before, but you can, Luke can be organized into four units. There they are. It seems like it's been years since we were in the infancy narrative, and it actually was years ago. Luke 1 through 4. Then there's the Galilean ministry, his, the beginnings of his ministry, choosing disciples, lots of miracles. Then the longest unit, which we're wrapping up today, chapter 9, all the way through the end of 19, 10 chapters. It's this winding journey. You remember it starts in 951 where Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And for 10 straight chapters, they're just on this meandering path. And Luke sort of uses that journey as a metaphor for how Jesus made disciples. They're just walking along a road together and Jesus is teaching. And it's kind of this idea of the, of the way Jesus forms people in his way. And then we'll finish that today. We'll finish that. And then in a few weeks, I'll tell you more about this in a moment, but in a few weeks, we'll, we'll launch into the passion narrative. Super wonderful. So we could take that down. But here's the thing I want you to know. Since chapter nine, 10 chapters ago, which has been almost a year and a half, Jesus has had his face set towards Jerusalem, even though he knows that that is the city that will torture him, reject him, murder him, hang him on a cross. But it's this, this divine gravitational pull that's drawing him to Jerusalem no matter what. And along the way, he's teaching and shaping his disciples. He's been making his way there. And for 10 straight chapters, we're just like on our way to Jerusalem. And finally, we've come to this climactic moment where Jesus actually walks through the gates of the city of Jerusalem. 
And if you look at your Bible, at the passage we're going to look at today, chapter 19, starting in verse 28, you probably have a paragraph heading there. My guess is if your Bible is like mine, what does it say? Shout it out. What does it say in verse 28? Triumphal entry, the triumphal entry. Okay, I hate to be that guy that always has a quibble with the paragraph headings, but I don't like this one. And it's not, it's not in the Bible. That's someone's addition, especially this word triumphal because nothing about what we're to see together is triumphal. That phrase, triumphal entry, it refers to an ancient practice where a victorious king, a triumphant king would return to his home city and he would usually ride in on a war horse, a mighty steed, and he would be leading behind him all of his captives and chains and all of the wealth that he had accumulated. And it was like this victory march. You can almost imagine like a Caesar walking back into Rome and everyone's cheering and screaming and it's joyful and triumphant. The modern day equivalent would be the victory parade. Your team wins the national championship or whatever and they come home. And this is really hard for us as Oregonians because we have no idea what this is like. Sorry, Blazer fans. But anyway, it's been a long time. But that's kind of what's happening here, all right? But, but, but there's a difference, If we've seen anything in Luke, we know this. Jesus always does stuff his way. So this is going to be a big moment. It's going to have almost a sense of royalty to it. He's going, to, he's going to march into Jerusalem. But what Jesus is going to do, it's what he always does. He takes modern cultural concepts and he flips them upside down and he reinvents them for his purposes. And to give away somehow his heart, his way. And so we have a text before us, chapter 19, 28 to 44. And here's what I want you to notice as I'm reading. All along the way, we are meant to see the way of Jesus. And I'm not talking about his chart on a map. I'm talking about his posture, his value system coming through. Because here's the thing, River West. The way of Jesus is supposed to be the way of his people. We're going to study the way of the Christian life. And let me tell you something. It's nothing like the way of our world. Nothing like it. So will you read it now with me? I'm going to make my way through this passage, starting in verse 28. Here's what happened. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, Its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Okay, now let's talk. What is up with the colt? Because okay, clearly Luke is making a big deal about this colt, the incessant repetition, the attention to detail. And by the way, in the Greek, that word that comes through as colt in our English translation, that word, it's the word palas, and it describes a young offspring of a donkey. 
all right? Like a, a, a teenage mule, okay? That's what we're talking about. Do not think Aragorn riding on his mighty war horse. Think Hobbit on a mule. That's what this is. This is a tiny little, I mean, this is like pathetic, all right? And here's what's happening. Two things I want you to notice. Number one, did you notice? Jesus is now completely calling the shots. Isn't that interesting? He knows exactly what's going to happen down to the very last detail. So if you're tempted to think Jesus is caught up in a, in a, in a, in a series of events that are like a, like a, a, like a riptide that are drawing him towards his death, that is not what's happening. Jesus is totally in control. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He predicts every detail. In fact, he's ensuring that the, deta- the next few details lead to his death and his resurrection. More importantly, and this is what I really want you to see, this is a calculated departure from the norm. Jesus is being very calculated. What we're about to witness is not a, the typical triumphal entry where a king would ride in victorious on a mighty steed. Jesus enters Jerusalem on an adolescent donkey. And he's doing it on purpose to send a very strong message about the actual nature of his kingship. We have to see this. Try to get into this moment. You're there. You're one of the disciples. You're walking with Jesus out of Jericho. You're going up the road. The fervor is starting to rise. The nationalistic fervor. People are thinking, this is the Messiah that's finally come. But then you hear Jesus and he pulls two disciples aside and he says, here's what I want you to do. Go and there's going to be a teenage donkey. And you're hearing all this language and it's repeated over and over. And you know what's happening to you because you know your Hebrew scriptures? You're thinking, wait a minute, there is a very charged prophecy in the book of Zechariah about this very moment. And it starts to come together for you. In fact, there's two of them. I need you to turn there. We actually keep your finger in Luke 19 and go back to the very end of your Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. And let me show you what was going on in the minds of these Jewish disciples as Jesus keeps talking about this cult that he's going to ride on. Zechariah chapter 14 is where we begin. 14 verses 3 and 4. Look at this. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which is exactly where Jesus is standing. Isn't that interesting? So they're hearing Mount of Olives. They're going, this is our king, our victorious king. He's going to fight against our enemies. The Mount of Olivet that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olivet shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. So according to Zechariah, the Lord comes to the Mount of Olives to rescue the city from its terrible oppression at the hands of the nations. But what's happening here is the disciples are realizing, wait a minute, but Jesus has not come to fight a battle. And they're reading, that's because there's another prophecy five chapters before that goes with this prophecy, and we have to see both. So now turn back 
to chapter 9 of Zechariah, really briefly, see both of these. I want you to see this in your own Bible so you know where all of this is coming from. The whole Bible's connected. It's one big redemptive story. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, look at this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is powerful. If a war horse is a symbol of military might, of taking things by force, of defeating one's enemies through violence and aggression and the exertion of power. A baby donkey is a symbol of humility, victory through self-sacrifice, defeating one's enemy through unconditional love. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to send a message. I have not come as a Lord of war. I've come as the Prince of Peace. So important. And the question the modern reader is supposed to, the the modern reader should be reading this and going, well, wait a minute. If this is so clear in 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 the prophecies, why did the people of Israel miss this moment? Because friends, the nation of Israel, by and large, completely rejected Christ as their Messiah. How can that be? How could they miss all of the truth? How could they know their Bible and see Jesus do all of these things and come to the conclusion, this is not the Messiah we've been waiting for? How's that possible? Now, we know that there is a day coming when Jesus will ride in on a white horse, right? We sing about it, one of my favorite songs, right? On a white horse, he'll ride his eyes are ablaze with justice to rise, right? And a, a, a sword will come out of his mouth. That day is coming. But for now, the way of Jesus is a way of humility and peace, lowliness. And people missed it. And heaven forbid that the Christian church should miss the way of Jesus. But what I want you to do is go back to Luke and let me show you now all the different kinds of responses that happen because now Jesus is giving all these cues and he's saying, get what's happening. And what we're going to realize is a, a small percentage of the people recognize Jesus for who he truly is. So I left off in verse 36. Here's what happened next. And as he rode along, They spread their cloaks on the road. So it's almost like a red carpet. People say the dust is not worthy of his feet. They they spread out the, the, the royal carpet before him. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, 
And that little phrase comes from Psalm 118, which was a psalm that the people of Israel would use to give expression to their longing for God's true king to come. This is a messianic psalm. The people are seeing something. They're getting it. This is our king. Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But now look at this. The Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples, teacher. Rebuke them. Why? They say, we're offended by this. And you should be offended too. And you should, si- you should silence them. By the way, cancel culture is not a new thing. It goes all the way back to the New Testament. Okay, cancel them, right? But now, so the, the, the Pharisees are offended. They do not see the same thing that the disciples of Jesus see. And they say, rebuke your disciples. And then we come to one of our, we love this verse, verse 40. This is like Jesus' response. We absolutely love this verse. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, right? Isn't that great? Jesus says, it doesn't matter how hard you try to cancel or silence, nothing can stop my praise from happening. If you try to, if you try to silence them, nature will cry out. And it's a rebuke to the disciples. Jesus is saying, hey, friends, if geology has to start doing theology in your place, we've got problems. We've got problems. Incredible. So just take in this moment. Jesus is riding down the Mount of Olives. Some of the disciples completely recognize what's happening. They realize... This is the king, even though he's not going to fulfill some of our nationalistic expectations. You know what I mean by that, nationalistic? Like they, they were expecting a king who, who would prioritize Israel over all the other nations and defeat their enemies. And they're thinking, even though he's, it doesn't appear he's fulfilling all of those, yet it's obvious he is the one and true king and they worshiped him. There were probably other people there who were kind of getting it and they were going along with the crowds. They saw enough to know this is the fulfillment of God's word. But then there was another group of people who were offended by this, rejecting it, saying, we we don't see God at work in this moment. In fact, we demand that you stop in this moment. And their expectations were, were so strong that they could not even see that this was a clearly a fulfillment of their own scriptures. So think about this. The true followers of Jesus were taking their nationalistic expectations and filtering them through the word of God. And because of that, they were able to see the true identity of Jesus. And the Pharisees were taking the scriptures and filtering them through their nationalistic expectations thereby rejecting the true way of Jesus. Let me say that one more time. The true followers of Jesus were taking their nationalistic expectations and filtering them through the authoritative word of God. Therefore, they could see the true way of Jesus. And the Pharisees were taking the scriptures and filtering them through their political ideology, causing them not to see the way of Jesus. 
And you say, Pastor, why are you emphasizing that? Because I'm standing in front of you saying with a broken heart, I just described to you American evangelicalism. Where so many followers of Jesus, evangelicals in America, take all of their political ideology, some of it even nationalistic or patriotic, and they filter it through the scripture so that it remains healthy and balanced and they continue to see the way of Jesus. But so many in our age take the scriptures and filter them through their political ideology and build a religion that's not anywhere near biblical Christianity. We have to hear this. This year, just the last couple months, I came across an article and the title of the article was, Are Churches Losing the Battle to Form Christians? That's like the ultimate pastor clickbait right there. Okay, I was like, I have to read this. Are churches losing the battle to form Christians? And then here's what the author said. He said, there's so many things that have been revealing about 2020, but the most disturbing thing about 2020 is that it's accelerated this already troubling trend that we've seen where so many Christians are being shaped more by what they're doing online than by what they're doing right here. And the author says, it's such a fight for pastors and churches because in the church, we have two hours on a Sunday and then we have a small group and maybe some other things. But then for the rest of the week, sometimes 90 plus hours, people, even Christian people are online, on Twitter, on YouTube, all over, in their, in their social media feed, being, being pummeled and pummeled and pummeled with information and ideology. And it's so challenging to continue to be a Christian who takes your political stuff and keep filtering it through the word. And I, I, I don't have a problem at all with patriotism. I'm not talking about Christian patriotism. I love my country. I love my country. What I'm talking about is when, when, a, when a person's politics becomes so critical to them that they begin to ignore the true and clear and obvious heart of Jesus. And here's the thing, folks. It actually breaks the heart of God because look at verse 41. Look what happens next. This is astounding to me. Jesus comes riding down the Mount of Olives and he weeps. His heart is broken. When he drew near and he saw the city, he wept. This is not the first time Jesus wept, by the way. Remember, Jesus wept outside of Lazarus's tomb. But in the Greek, at that moment, that weeping is different. It's more of a, a It's more of a quiet, it's like a single tear. It's very private. This word in the Greek, it actually, it's a little bit difficult to translate into our English, but it it describes uncontainable, audible grief. So a better word would be wailing. Or if you you were to translate it, you'd say, "When when he saw the city, he burst into tears. Amazing. He burst into tears. In Luke, when the, when the sinful woman came in and she fell down at Jesus' feet and she anointed his feet and wiped it with her hair, it's this word, she burst into tears. When Peter, after he denied Christ for the third time 
And Jesus had said, when you deny me the third time, the, the rooster will crow. Remember that moment? It's, we're coming to it in 22. Peter denies Christ. The rooster crows. In this dramatic moment, Peter makes eye contact with Jesus and he goes, oh. and you know what happens? This word. He bursts into tears. And now, the son of the living God, the Messiah, God's king, comes riding down from the Mount of Olives and he bursts into tears. Why? Verse 42. He wept saying, now everything I'm about to read, you have to read it through the tears of, of the son of the living God. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus bursts into tears because he knows the devastating cost of rejecting God's king. He knows. And he weeps. Jesus knows a major opportunity is about to be missed. They're going to totally miss this by and large. Oh, a few will see who I really am. But by and large, this entire city will miss my way. Friends, this is like the heart of God. It's so powerful. Think about this. Jesus, he comes riding into a city, Jerusalem. The name of that city literally means the, the city of peace. It has the word shalom in it. So this is supposed to be a city of peace. He comes riding in on an animal that's a symbol of peace, a donkey. He comes into the city as the Prince of Peace. And yet he knows they're going to totally miss this moment. And here's what's amazing. He actually had the power to force the entire city to be his subjects. He could have taken the city by force. But that's not the way this king entered our world. He entered in humility. It's so different from our way. Did you notice what he said there in verse 42? He said, he said, would that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace. If only you had known the things that make for peace. And I don't have to convince you that we're living in a world where our world, the people in our world, human beings, we do not know the things that make for peace because we keep trying to take it by force. And sadly, even in the history of the church, anytime the church has had power, it's been no good, no good. But when Christians walk the way of Christ, it's so different, it's so powerful, it's so beautiful. And God says, make sure you don't miss the way of Jesus. Make sure that all your expectations and your ideologies and the things that you really care about, make sure 
that you keep filtering those through the word of God. Now, let me show you one last thing that I blew my mind. I read over it quickly and you probably wondered. Open, look back at verse 38 in your Bible. Right after they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at this phrase. This is very fascinating. They say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And as you hover over that phrase, I want to ask you the question, where does that phrase come from earlier on in the Gospel of Luke? Do you remember this? This sounds exactly like the moment in the very beginning, Luke 2, when the host of angels show up, the shepherds are out in the fields watching their flock by night, and they show up, and what do they say? Something very similar to this, but with a really interesting difference. In that moment, they said, glory to God in the highest. And where is the peace in that moment? On earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace in heaven. And now we get to the end of the gospel. Glory is still happening to God in the highest, but where is the peace now? It's going back to heaven. Angels show up at the beginning as Christ is entering the world and they say, peace has come to earth. The disciples in a stroke of brilliance as Jesus is humbly going to the one city that will murder him. They say, the Prince of Peace is now returning home. Glory to God in highest. Peace in heaven. And the thing is, if Jerusalem had accepted Jesus as their king, they would have had peace. But because they rejected him, the peace is now back in heaven. And now it's a peace that comes to those who see Jesus for who he truly is. They see the way of Jesus. So take this in. My closing thought, take this in. A weeping, heartbroken, humble, about to be humiliated, harbinger of peace, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And let me tell you something, River West. This is the way of Jesus. And because it's the way of Jesus, it's going to be the way of River West Church in 2020. This is supposed to be the way of God's people. Amen? This is the way of God's people. And so I am, I'm inviting you back next Sunday for a very significant Sunday in the life of our church. As the worship team comes, I want to, I want to just say, I'm inviting you to come back. Next Sunday, I'm going to address our moment as a community, as a community that's been placed here to represent the heart of Jesus in our world, in our, in our culture. It's a moment where I'm going to define and redefine who we are, what is our core identity, and I'm also... I'm going to ask us to look forward and, and ask the question, where is Jesus calling us to go? And I'm really excited about what's going to happen next Sunday, and I, I need you to come back and be a part of that. Ideally, in person out there, we love you out there, and if you're ready to come back and, and be in person, we would love to have you. It's been a great experience in here. But either way, come back next Sunday, 9, 11, and then 4 p.m. at the Family Life Service. Will you bow your heads with me? and We'll pray together as the worship team 
prepares to lead us. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the way of Jesus. It's not like the way of the world. His route to peace, his way of bringing salvation, his way of building a kingdom, it's not like the way we do it in our world. And so how we pray that in your world, your church, the global church, capital C church, and every local expression, every local congregation would grow in a deeper vision and commitment to the way of Jesus because we care so much about your reputation and we care about the spread of the gospel. Shape us, refine us, reform us, we pray by your gospel truth. And we ask it together. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.